This is the first ever emergency whistleblowers podcast. Uh, in the wake of the uh, the Harry and Izzy Six in Indianapolis, John and I felt it was incumbent upon us to gather once again and see if we can get Zoom working and, and hash this out. Uh, I'm Luke DeCock, sports columnist at the News and Observer. With me, as always, John Clockerty, the Hall of Fame official. And this is episode 30 of the Whistleblowers uh, with a little flashing red light because we're dealing with uh, a bit of an officiating crisis, uh, obviously. Um, so we're back for the first time since November 2020 when we had our conversation with the McGee family. And if you haven't uh, listened to that one or read their book uh, about their, their family and, and Jerry McGee and Ryan McGee and, and the family and their travails through the officiating world growing up as children of officials, um, and Jerry's obviously long career as a football official, um, highest recommendation. But we're here to talk about basketball. Um, John, uh, you know, it's been a few months since we've talked like this. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. I'm doing good. Um, actually, uh, feel a little comfort level. Uh, my wife and I have uh, been able to get our shots and, um, you know, that helps us. Uh, we can maybe do some things we weren't able to do before because of a concern for the virus. But um, there's been a lot of water over the dam since our last uh, podcast. And, um, and then, of course, uh, the NCAA, the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament, and uh, the whole season has been uh, one, uh, one issue after another. So um, we can – Maybe talk a little bit about that, Luke. And uh, if you want to start, uh, we we had some officials that uh, just recently ended up in Indianapolis. Very good officials, um, high quality officials, uh, Final Four issues uh, officials uh, missing out on the tournament and being sent home because of uh, one positive test. And um, I know. Uh, know most of those officials very well, and I, I my, my heart goes out to them because they spend a spend a, a whole season, uh, and that's part of their reward is getting to the NCAA tournament and hopefully advancing to a, a selected few to work the the championship. Yeah, yeah. The the we'll we'll, we'll dive right into that. Uh, the the six guys who uh, who were who were quarantined slash contact traced out of the NCAA tournament. I wanted to cycle back for just one second. I had a bit of a brain cramp. Sidelines and Bloodlines is the book by uh, Ryan, Sam, and Jerry McGee. So I uh, want to get the plug in there correctly since they were so nice to spend that time with us. And yeah, the uh, the six officials who arrived in Indianapolis on Sunday, um, reporting by several people, but first by Jeff Goodman at Stadium. Uh, their hotel rooms, hotel rooms were not ready. They went out to dinner at Harry and Izzy's, one of the two sort of you're, you, John, I'm sure you've been to both Harry and Izzy's and St. Elmo's, uh, the famous uh, Indianapolis steakhouses, Harry and right. Izzy's being the, the slightly more casual of the two, but they both have the famous uh, St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail that'll blow your sinuses out. And uh, those six had dinner. They went back to the hotel. They got tested. We had one positive test, retested in the morning. He was positive again. And those six are out and they are massive names in the officiating fraternity. Uh, Roger Ayers and Ted Valentine from the ACC, really the two top ACC officials. Um, John Gaffney, um, every official's favorite official. Uh, John Higgins, the ubiquitous John Higgins. Um, uh, let's see, Ray Natilli, former ACC referee. 
and Kip Kissinger, who, who uh, all of those guys except Natalia, I believe, have worked Final Fours, and all of them except Kissinger, multiple Final Fours. And it would not have been shocking to see five of those six working the final weekend. So not only is it unfortunate because we have gone so much of this season without any officiating issues or without a lot of them, I should say. I mean, it hasn't been what the NCAA expected in that regard, but you're losing some of the top talent in the business. Um, I guess that's good news for some people who might get a chance to work a final four. Um, but in any industry, when you, you, you nip some of the cream off the top, it's going to have an impact. John, it's an unfortunate situation. The NCAA isn't pointing any fingers. It sounds like it was just one of those little cracks that the virus can slip through. But, you know, what are your thoughts? One on, as you said, going through the entire season for someone like Roger Ayers or Ted Valentine in the ACC only to, you know, kind of fall at this last hurdle. And then the impact potentially on the final four, if you're missing some of your top guys. Well, uh, I'll answer the, uh, your second question. Uh, you can't take a John Higgins, a Ted Valentine, uh, Roger Ayers um, out of the mix, and uh, somebody will referee the games and they'll referee him well. But uh, you're sitting there and you're losing top level officials, and um, that uh, you know if you're sitting there and you're uh, Danny Gabbett, uh, you're you're hoping the people that you bring in uh, can get the same job done that John Higgins and Roger Ayers and Teddy Valentine and. John Gaffney and those groups. So, you know, you're going to have to replace those. They're going to replace the six with four. I don't know the thinking behind that, but um, I, I just think that um, a couple of little nuggets here. Uh, all the officials that the six officials, uh, from my understanding, from talking to officials that are here, they've gotten in their automobiles and they're headed home. And uh, the NCAA uh, has um, provided automobiles for them and they're out of town and they're headed, headed back home. Um, those officials that are gonna be there and are gonna work, they've had their conference call and all the uh, uh, things that uh, as far as assignments and and how they advance, that's all out the window according to uh, a conference call. You may have two games. You will have two games. You may have two standby games. You're going from 96 referees to 56 referees. And it, uh, they're going to keep those guys isolated, as you know. And they're going to get out of the hotel only to go to the arena and referee the game. Uh, food will be brought into them. Um, one thing I did, I did a number. If you showed up on Sunday, the 13th, and you advanced all the way through the tournament, and you were fortunate enough to work the, the semifinals or the finals, you had been there 23 days. Sure. Uh, and you've got a, a, I mean, that's like being in Alcatraz for 23 <laughs> days because. <laughs> Maybe not quite as bad, but food is coming into you. You call up, they deliver it. It's um, uh, it's the most unusual situation. And all, I, I'm not even look. All the years I refereed, all the years I was a supervisor, there's nothing even close to this. But I think um, early in the season, even before the first game, 
every official was told this is going to be the most unusual situation. Officials have lost games. Teams have lost games. Um, there's no been no fans. It's like refereeing a scrimmage. Um, so it, 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 it it's they're going to have to do whatever they can do to get through the NCAA tournament with the teams that have been selected and the 56 referees there. Uh, I would hope there'd be no more casualties either by teams or officials. But, um, yeah, they, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of congregation and a lot of uh, – one of the best things about being selected to the NCAA tournament, of course, the games are the best. Socializing with your friends, being part of that whole atmosphere, you used to be able to walk the streets and see people and go to the convention center and uh, those things. Uh, uh, the officials that are there now are, are going to miss a, a, a lot of that, and, and, and that, and especially the ones who were sent home. That so bad. Yeah, it, it, I mean that's true for I think all of us. I mean, as a writer, one of my favorite things about the NCAA tournament is not just the drama and the you know, the, the, the great material that it gives us, but, you know, going to a place like Pittsburgh or Omaha and spending a weekend there and, and, you know, you get a little time on the off days, especially to branch out. You certainly have time to have a couple nice meals. I've had some great runs in NCAA tournament histories. I had a history of crossing major rivers, you know, the Mississippi, the Ohio, the whatever um, on my runs for a period of time. I mean, I had a, a nice little streak going. So, uh, you know, that, that is hard, but you know, as you said, we're all making sacrifices and those guys understand that this is a, a one-time deal. Uh, I did want to get into a little bit of the mechanics of it with you, uh, because, you know, normally, as you said, they take whatever it is, uh, 96 uh, referees 96 plus, and, and maybe a couple alternates because JD sure. said one of nine, but, yeah. um, yeah, but, but normally 96 guys get picked. That's, you know, if you're going to put it on your resume, you're one of the 96 guys get picked. And all of those guys get a first round game and then the top 48 get a second round game. And then the, you know, 36, I think. Isn't there, well, there's, there's 16 second round games. So each one of them needs, needs three referees. So that would be 48. You're, you're, you're thinking about the weekends, the yeah. weekends. Yeah. So, and yeah. then, you know, you work either a regional semifinal or a regional final. So that's 12 games. So it's 36 guys work the second weekend and then uh, 10 get picked for the final four, three for each game and an alternate. So my question for you, John, is in a normal year, if you are an elite official, you might work a first four game. So let's throw that in there. You might, you might work in Dayton and then you get a first round game, a second round game, a regional weekend game, either a semifinal or a final and a final four game. So you would normally work five games in three weeks. That's right. Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, you would in a first four, if there was a first four, four, if not, well, you don't have, you know, you, you don't have multiple sites. You don't have referees set up in Pittsburgh to work two games in three days. You don't have guys in Columbus or Boise. Everyone's staying at the same hotel and they're all working the same game. So, you know, you can take fewer guys, you know, you could have guys, some of your elite guys work, multiple they could work four days in a row if they wanted lord knows they do enough during the regular season uh so obviously the ncaa took less my question for you is one do you have a sense of how often they're going to work these guys early um you know in these opening rounds and two does that make losing the six guys that they lost tougher because those guys might have accounted for 24 spots over the first four days 
Ooh. Um, I, I think they're going to work back to back, Luke. Um, uh, that was your first question. I think that um, officials that are there are going to get uh, that they have been guaranteed two games. I think those two games could be back to back, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and 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 possibly one standby also. Sure. Uh, so 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 they're there. Um, and your second question, help me again, Luke. Uh, do you have any? Yeah, I mean that the one is the the what, what's the impact of losing these six guys if they could have lost? You know, these guys might have ended up working twenty four games the first four days. That's a big part of your you know, guys well, that you intended to use a lot. Now you've lost them. Yeah. And that, and those guys, uh, there's a, a number of them, like I said earlier, that when you do lose them, it is going to impact it. I think uh, maybe not to the same extent, but um, if Virginia had to travel to Indianapolis with less than all the ammunition that they have or, or a Kansas, it's going to affect how they play. Uh, maybe that's a hard to relate that to officiating, but John Higgins, Teddy Valentine, Roger Ayers, John Gaffney, all are referee final fours. They've referee final fours. You take them out of the mix and you replace them with the next four. You can't be quite as good, but you mentioned it early on. The next person will step up and also some of the ones that refereed the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight on their resume, this gives them a big chance to move to the next level because you've taken out four Final Four referees, um, somebody that's been there, have done the Sweet 16, have moved to the Elite Eight uh, uh, this time or or even further. they're waiting for that opportunity. They're, sure. you know, they're, they're, their friends have been sent home. They feel bad about it, but they'll, they'll use that opportunity maybe to, to advance themselves to the next level. And let's, you know, I think in the interest of full disclosure, that's a group that includes your son, Tim, who's worked regional weekends sure. several times, but has never worked the final four. He's the kind of official, and I'm not saying he will or won't. I don't know. That's up to J.D. Collins and the basketball committee. But, you know, he's the kind of guy who, you know, maybe this that type of referee, a guy who's worked regional finals and regional semifinals, but has never gone to that next weekend. A couple of those guys are going to have a chance to work a final four this year. So that 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 the, the spots that would have been filled by those other guys um, is going to. Yeah, is and, going to be- and, and they'll they'll do well. Uh, Luca, uh, they, you know, um, there's been officials that have uh, had that opportunity and taken advantage of it. Uh, I know I can remember back one uh, uh, tournament I was at, the standby official had to come in because an official on the court strained his Achilles and could not run. Hmm. That, that official was a standby. He came in. He was probably not going to advance, but he did a really good job in a tough situation, and they rewarded him, hmm. and he refereed the next weekend. And so, so and back- he didn't come. He didn't come in and shy away. He came in aggressive, blew his whistle, contributed. Fit. He was ready to go to work, and they advanced him. So, uh, this will be opportunities for officials uh, maybe to to make that next step.
And are, were you saying this is when you were working or when you were supervising? Uh, no, I was uh, working at that okay. time. Okay. Yeah, I was working and at is, that time. Did that, did that jumpstart this official's career to any extent? Like, did he get better? Did they what, Luke? Did that jumpstart this official's career? Well, they... it, it, it certainly took him to another level because he showed that uh, he was not going to be intimidated because, um, uh, you know, he, he got that opportunity and he refereed well the whole tournament. I don't know how much further he went, that, uh, but he did go to the next round and yeah, uh, sure. he, he proved his worth. Yeah. Anything else before we move on? I mean, I think we're all going to find out a lot in the next few days as, as we move through this tournament, just how officials are assigned and how heavily they're used and whether they follow the sort of traditional manner of, you know, in, it, it's going to be different who moves on, whether it's from the first round to the second round or the second round to the regionals, because in the past, that's all been done on site. You know, the official evaluator on site at these regional pods, these sub-regional pods, working with the NCA committee member at these sub, you know, on site at these eight pods decides which of those officials will advance from that site. And that's how the procession typically goes. We don't have that this year. We got one big site. We got Mackey and Bloomington and the, the sites in Indianapolis and Hinkle and Banker's Life and Farmers, whatever. And teams are not staying in one site. You could like North Carolina opens the tournament at Purdue there's no guarantee if they win that, you know, that the, the UNC Wisconsin winner plays Baylor and Purdue, that game right, could be right. in Bloomington. That game could be in, you know, I assume that at that point they'll all be in Indianapolis, but you know, so you, you don't have that sort of, you know, uh, hierarchy that you usually have. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see how the NCAA evaluates because instead of being evaluated, you know, sort of with uh, 12, 11 other guys, as you normally would, uh, you're going to be evaluated against a much, much larger pool. Yeah. One of the things that uh, along those lines, uh, uh, they, uh, JD has made it clear to them um, that assignments, they have worked really hard to look at the matchups, the officials on this side, the teams on this side, and there's a lot goes into it. They have spent up until way past midnight, my understanding, into the early morning trying to look at officials over here, these 56 guys, and all these games that have to be played. And, and in the past, you would hope that officials that work a primary league of ACC would, would not be involved in an ACC team in the first or second round. Hmm. But... Uh, or, or the Big East referees uh, or, or the Big 12. That, that, and, and to sit down and try to put that together with uh, 56 referees and all the teams over here, 64 teams that have been selected for, for the tournament, is, it becomes. So I think what he said is we're going to do the best job we can. We're going to get our games covered with the best referees. But... Um, this is some of the things that they had to work on uh, even up until last night, late last night. Interesting. Well, you know, as with, as with COVID, we're all learning this stuff on the fly with everything related to COVID. So it, it, it fits that, you know, this is one of those things that falls into that category. On, on that note, John, I, I was curious in your conversations with your son, with, with other officials, with other supervisors, former supervisors, whoever, 
what are your takeaways from this season from an officiating standpoint? You know, what's the season been like? Uh, has it gone as guys expected? I mean, I know it's been more of a grind than usual, but you know, I, I was, I had my usual seat at the ACC tournament and, you know, said hello to several, uh, several of the officials who I know either, you know, vaguely or well. And um, you know, they all seem to be hanging, hanging in there. Of course, you know, one of them was, was Roger Ayers who was cracking some jokes and is now on his way home. But um, you know, what, what was your takeaway from, from the season and the, the officials that you've talked well, to, how have they held up? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think early on, um, they were told by their supervisors, whether it was the ACC or the Big East or the SEC, um, Mike Eads in charge of the SEC now, that uh, they would hope if, if they could get uh, 20 to 25 percent of their assignments completed, uh, 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 if you took 20 or 25 percent out of their normal schedule, that would be a bonus because of the, the COVID. I think they have done that. Um, I, I, some some uh, officials who were actually infected probably lost more than that, but even being the contact tracing, uh, you had to sit on the sidelines some nights and uh, because of it. Right. Uh, Luke, it, uh, officials didn't know from game to game, um, I hate to always bring Tim in, but they called Tim one night and says, Tim, uh, we may have an issue. Uh, this is three o'clock in the morning. And Tim says, well, you need to let me know whether I'm going to Omaha because I have a 730 flight. That's the kind of things that every official was uh, getting uh, uh, involved in. Uh, right up until game time, you didn't know. Uh, whether you you were going to work, whether your partners were going to be the same partners. Uh, Tim worked the semifinal in the Big East tournament. And just prior to the game, one of the, his, his uh, crew was taken out of the game because he was in contact with a person that had tested positive. Hmm. So they, they, moved, they moved that official out of the game, put Brad Pat Driscoll into the game and Pat Driscoll was supposed to work the final, but they move officials around. That was, that was game day. That yeah. was, that, and this was not atypical and it happened all throughout the season. The general audience sees all that happening to the teams. Okay. Sure. The Louisville having to go off the board. Uh, Iona having uh, half their schedule almost, canceled um so it was happening to teams but the same thing that was happening with the teams in some respect was happening with referees also their their season was just mixed up and never uh never uh, uh on track the way in normal times it would be and um you know but everybody survived we're gonna we had conference tournaments we had two teams come out of the uh conference tournament uh virginia and and duke i guess or uh, was there another one luke acc tournament no just those two at the ACC. just those tournament. two and the women's and, and, tournament and, went went fine yeah you know and so you know uh everybody i think is making a max effort to 
but you never know when that uh, that virus is going to hit and and, and um, set you back. Uh, you know, I, I you know I think of Virginia and Duke. I, I, I'm sure they'll like to stay involved and play for the championship. And I I, I hope things go well up in Indianapolis. Uh, but I have my uh, I have my questions. Yeah, I mean, I think we all do. And, you know, the funny thing is the ACC tournament played 13 of 15 scheduled games. That's actually pretty consistent with the number of games that were played during the regular season. Um, It's just because it's the tournament, because it's Virginia, because it's Duke, it becomes, you know, so magnified the the impact there. Um, But one other question for sort of rank and file referees over the course of this very long season. Uh, what was the, the financial impact? We had a lot fewer non-conference games. Uh, we had a lot fewer conference games just because they got postponed or canceled. And I, I don't know if there was sort of a, a kill fee for that if you were scheduled to work a postponed game that never got rescheduled. What, what ended up for, these, for the vast majority of these guys? You know, how many fewer games did they get paid for this year than they usually would? You know, um, it's, a, it's a really good question. Luke, I, I, I don't know. Um, but everybody took a financial hit. Uh, those that worked uh, 80 to 85 games, we know who they are, and there's certain referees in every league that work that many games. Uh, they didn't get any – we're close to the, that number of games. I mean, uh, substantially yeah. less. If you were a 50 to 60 games and you got 40 – you're counting your blessings, okay? And you're, you're satisfied. You, you were able to get better than half of your schedule, uh, maybe two-thirds of your schedule. And you're, you're, you're not making the money you, you did in previous years, but you're still making money. And uh, it, you, you realize that it, everybody is in the same boat. Everybody is taking less games, um, and nobody wants to hear anybody else complain about it. Those that had 90 games, 85 games, and ended up with 60 games, they don't need to talk about how many fewer games they had when you're talking about a referee whose schedule is 40 games and he ends up with 25. Uh, you know, but everybody, yeah. everybody understands that it was a tough year and that it, it was costly to a lot of referees. Um, but uh, the end is uh, maybe this will will change and things will be different going forward. So just for as a point of reference, using the data on, on KenPom.com and Ken Pomeroy was our guest two episodes ago. It seems like a long time ago, um, but uh, we had Ken Palm on. He was he was terrific talking about his officiating roots and how he comes up with these ratings. But just for, for purposes of comparison, there were in 2019, the last year we had a full NCAA tournament. Four officials who worked, uh, five, excuse me, no, four officials who worked more than 100 games. That was Keith Kimball, Ron Groover, John Higgins, and Kelly Pfeiffer. And in 2021, now we still have the tournament to be played, and that's another five or six games. Uh, but the most that I see this year is 72. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big drop-off. They went um, from 100 to 72? Yeah, I mean, the, the top. It's different guys, yeah. but, the, but right. the top guys. Yeah, no, the... The most anyone has worked is, is 72, 71, 70, a uh, bunch of guys in the, the mid-60s. And then, you know, the Big Ten, which 
kept a lot of its officials in-house this year, so it could have more control over them. Guys like Bo Borowski and DJ Karstensen, Larry Serrato, uh, Paul Selk, uh, they worked a lot fewer games, um, but they were on staff. Um, you know, so the, their financial situation, as I understand it, maybe you know more, was, was different. But yeah, so uh, someone who, you know, let's say in 2019 worked, you know, 95 games, uh, 88 games, uh, is, is working, you know, 57 to 66 games. I and mean, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big drop off. Yeah. That, uh, that certainly, especially when you consider there were no NCAA tournament games last year. And obviously don't, those don't pay as well. They have other appeal. They don't pay as well as a ACC or big 12 game. Um, but it was still work. Uh, you know, that it's a, it's been a drop off the last two years. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, Luke, uh, every supervisor uses uh, exhibition games and some non-conference games um, to um, train or, or get a young official some experience and, and uh, watch them and try to evaluate them. Those games, they probably lost those games because you would use officials uh, that are on your staff that have already been established to get them ready for the next step would be conference games. Okay. Sure. So it, even the lower level guys lost a, a lot of games, games that they didn't, didn't have many of. So they lose those. Yeah, no, it's, it's, there's definitely that trickle down effect to the, uh, to, at every level, fewer non-conference games and in some cases, fewer conference games, and yeah, for a supervisor, fewer chances to take a young guy and throw him into the mix with a couple older guys and see how he does. Um, you know, certainly a, a, a lot of reduced opportunities across the board for everyone this year. That's um, unfortunate, but we're all dealing with the various hardships, obviously. Anything else on that subject, John, before we move no, I, along? I, I think um, I, I just... I, I, nothing, nothing more, uh, uh, but as a referee who has been in the tournament, uh, I know how those six guys, they had a bad day and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, sympathy goes out to them. And, um, you know, it's just a, a sad situation because they do work really hard and feel good about being going to Indianapolis and, and uh, now they're going home and, Sure. You know, uh, I, ha I have been not in that situation, but I know what it is to get sent home even after you referee. So getting sent home without refereeing is double uh, bad. Any thoughts on the ACC tournament? Anything you saw there? Obviously, the, you know, the, the new way that Brian Kersey has been assigning officials, uh, contrary to the way you did it. I'm not saying there's a better way or a worse way, but you would put your top three guys in the title game and he's split up, split them up over the semifinals and finals in part so he can send a, a good crew to the Atlantic 10 championship on Sunday. Uh, any thoughts uh, this year's final with uh, Ted Valentine, uh, Ron, is it Ron Gruber? Ron and Bill Gruber Covington? and, Bill and Billy Covington. Covington. Uh, only, uh, I was a bit, a, a little bit surprised at Billy Covington, um, but Billy Covington certainly, uh, uh, it was a, a time for him. You know, you have, you have Dorsey and Ayers and, and, and a few others uh, that uh, uh, worked the semifinals. But um, 
I was and glad for Bill. Yeah, don't forget, John, we lost the semifinal, so we don't know who is supposed to be working in that second semifinal. That's, that, 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 yeah. that's true, and, and I am. But uh, I, I just think, um, I think Brian, uh, who I think does a really good job, but he he's uh, uh, more willing than I was. And I'm, I'm going to say that maybe that's a credit uh, a good thing like he he he's using Tony Hendred, AJ Desay, um, Mark Schnur, and I, I know I'm, I'm missing some other ones, but he's he, he has enough confidence in those guys to uh, put them in those 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 games. And uh, I was more of a guy that uh, say you know uh, I'm I'm going to be comfortable with Mike Eads and Roger Ayers and Brian Kersey and, um, and go down and Brian Dorsey. And, and uh, I was always more protective than Brian. And, and I say that Brian is willing to, to bite that bullet and use young guys. And those young guys, for the most part, step up. Tony Henderson's a good referee. He does mm-hmm. a nice, solid job. AJ Desay seems to be, and Lee Cassell, um, is another one. Um, they, given the opportunity, they've done well. So um, you know, Brian has given them a chance. Honestly, Luke, they're in the same position. When I took it over, my first year, Roger Ayers was not a star, and Mike Eads was not a star. If and they grew into the, the, those positions, they were they were behind Larry Rose and Duke Etzel and. Uh, uh, some others uh, at that time, but I I used them and and they did well. And that's what, and Brian's using younger guys and they're all doing a good job from what I can see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it was, they didn't have any issues at all in the, in the tournament uh, that I, uh, that I was aware of. Yeah. I wasn't aware of any either. I know there were some at the, at the a 10 tournament that required some, some shuffling, but I, I, you know, and that may have been, uh, you know, and either Brian wanted to get a look at them under these circumstances, um, or that may have been why guys like Justin Porterfield and Jeff Pond, you know, got looks early in the ACC yeah. tournament to work some of those yeah. early round games. Or like you said, Brian may just want to take a look at some guys who he's considering moving up in the future and see how they do in these one and done situations. I mean, I think, you know, that you and Brian both shared or share as supervisors, um, you know, trying to, 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 the, the quest to find guys that you trust. And I think, you know, as you said, you had guys who you came to trust. I think Brian has guys he trusts, the guys he worked with, um, but he's really trying to cast a net for, you know, more guys that, that he can rely upon. And to be fair, you know, when you go from whatever it was, 16 to 18 to 20 games in the conference schedule, you, you need a lot more guys, especially when you go from, 12 to 15 teams or nine to yeah. 12 to 15 teams. Like then, you know, you have to cast a bigger net. You've got to find, and obviously there's, you know, the ACC now has its, you know, uh, a cooperative with the big East and, and the ability, you know, the, the, the down the ladder to the big South and the A-10 and the colonial and all that. Um, so, so there is a wider pool to draw from in some ways of guys that you have um, not control over, but guys that you monitor and watch and grade on a regular basis and have a sense of their abilities um, but I did think it was interesting to see those guys in Greensboro and, and, and I was happy for Bill Covington to get a final. It may yeah, not be, 
the yeah. same thing that it used to mean when it was the, you know, the big three guys. And it was like you said, you know, Mike Wood and whoever was working that fine will come hell or high water. Um, but it's still something and it still means something. And for everybody who's in the building on that night, whether you're an official in the top nine now, as opposed to the top three or, or any of that. Um, one it, thing I Luke, one thing I thought uh, I would see when they had the coalition, the big East and the ACC uh, with Brian Kersey and Johnny Cal working together uh was possibly Big East referees who were primary to the Big East and ACC primary, that there might be some crossover and working uh, the tournaments and, and having a combination cruise like they did during the season. You, you would see Gaffney down here along with um, Brian Dorsey and uh, Roger Ayers and but sure. they've, they, they've stayed away from that. They, 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 they have Big East tournament officials and ACC tournament officials, and I thought there'd be more crossover. Um, I, I thought it made sense to, uh, to, to cross over, but they haven't done it. They've done it in the Atlantic 10, but they have not done it in uh, – they've not crossed over in the ACC or Big East. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That was something that was originally talked about as they – the two conferences kind of, you know, move toward this agreement with, with Kale and, and Brian. And um, we haven't seen that in the tournaments. It's interesting. I, yeah, I wonder now that you mention it, if that's something that the coaches prefer is having a group of officials that's identified with that conference still, as opposed to fully merging the two groups. It seems like that could be something, but it also just may be old habits die hard. And well, it's been a while. Terrible. I think the, I think they've been in this coalition for, Five years, four or five years, I thought, you know, it would happen, but it, it has not. I want to dive into uh, Alex Inman, a loyal listener, sent along some uh, questions for us. I put out an emergency call for, for questions right before on Twitter, right before we recorded this podcast. Um, and I think they're good ones because uh, they the, the first one talks about sort of officiating during a pandemic versus what's going to happen as we return to normal. And, and that's bench decorum. And, you know, JD had said, uh, you know, uh, to, to give a little more leeway uh, to, the, to the benches this year. Obviously, they're still going to get told to sit down. But, you know, without everybody sitting together, when, with everyone spread out, you've seen a lot more movement, a lot more guys jumping around. Uh, you've also seen uh, some flexibility with the coaches box. Uh, as coaches have to kind of move around more and, and uh, you know, you, you, and you've seen some lack of flexibility in the coaches box. And we'll talk about the James Madison uh, Elon game at some point before we're done today, because that probably is, is worth mentioning. But what are your thoughts on that, John? I, I, I'm curious myself, you know, if you liberalize things a little bit with the coaches box and the benches, you know, can you put that toothpaste back in the tube as we return to normal? Uh, yeah, I, Okay, Luke, they did um, extend the coaching box. It was 26 feet uh, when I was a supervisor. I think the last couple of years they have taken it all the way up uh, beyond that to close to the scores table because the coaches weren't able to coach their team uh, when they were down floor away from them. So they, they moved, the rules committee moved that line, the coaching box up I don't know the exact distance now, Luke, but 
it's no longer 26 feet. It's substantially uh, further than that. And, uh, and coaches will still come out of that coaching box. There's no reason for them to come out of the coaching box. Um, but officials are going to understand to the person that wrote the question, uh, officials are going to understand scoring and timing and game situation and use some common sense uh, rather than apply, adjudicate that rule to the letter. You're out of the box, technical foul. That, that's possibly going to ruin a game rather than, than, than help the situation. Uh, most officials will understand if he's out of the coaching box, and he's contesting some, some play calls. Uh, he's, he's on dangerous ground. He should, any, if, any coaches out there and arguing plays and arguing your calls is, 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 is in, he could be in deep trouble as far as getting a technical foul. Official might look at the score, time, situation, what previously occurred before that if he's out of the coaching box and has drifted out of the coaching box and is coaching his team he's still in, in violation of the rule but an official is going to see that he he's not now i'm not speaking for jd okay right. I, i'm speaking for uh when i if he's out of there he's not he's not been complaining about calls he's out there coaching his team Turn around and say, Coach, you're out of the box. You need to get back in the box. And don't say it in a threatening manner, but let him know that he needs to stay in the box. For you to turn around and whack him and ru ruin what could possibly be a good game, you're, you're putting that back on yourself. Now, you always say, well, he was in violation of the rule. But uh, I, I just think uh, there's a way that you can let him know that he's out of the box. Now, I, I saw some clip of the Michigan-Maryland game. Yeah. And what upset the referees there, quite honestly, is they could have probably handled the Michigan coach getting back, but then Turgeon got uh, coming at him from what I saw in the clip, and then that changed the whole situation. Okay, now you got to get both teams, both coaches, and you have a whole different situation than other getting in the Michigan coach. That Michigan coach was asking about an out-of-bounds play. Okay, he, he wanted the officials' attention because he felt like they had missed an out-of-bounds. Um, and that was only one bit of that game. I, I don't know anything else that happened prior to that. But maybe the two coaches have no like for each other. And I only bring that up because he was out of the box. And that was at the end of the game. But more important, let's, you know, the James Madison uh, Elon game, that was a game decider. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, I haven't talked to Kersey or uh, anybody that's been involved in the game. Mm. But I, I, I'd, I, I'd, I'd rather not comment. I mean, maybe it could have been handled better because of the scoring in time. Yeah, that one was called with, uh, with 111, 114 to go. Um, you know, clearly he was, based on looking at the, the video, 
he was clearly out of the coach's box, but that's not simp, simp, you know, typically uh, a call that would get made at that point in the game. And, and it had been uh, a heated game. That was the game where uh, a James Madison player uh, yelled and won and got teed up for it, which is not something you typically see. So there had been controversy in that game already. Uh, and, and the coach's box was, was the second one. James Madison certainly felt like it got the, the worst of it in that game. But, uh, you know, in the Maryland-Michigan thing, you know, Mark Turgeon and Maryland has, has maintained uh, since, you know, in, in I think both, I think they played Michigan twice, both their meetings with Michigan before the tournament that, that Maryland had gotten the short end of the stick and he was not happy with the officiating. He was not happy with Michigan. Um, and his comment on the fracas with Juwan Howard was he was standing up for his team and what he believed. Uh, but it certainly was not, not, <laughs> pr- not pretty, uh, you know, not uh, elegant uh, uh, the way that, 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 that flared up there. So it'll be interesting. I, I think it's a good question because I do feel like with the exception of the James Madison game, that coaches have been given a little more leeway this year. I think officials have understood that coaches aren't coaching their teams the way they're normally accustomed to. And, and um, you know, we haven't had sort of a, you know, like a Jamie Dixon type who's squatting at the center circle, but um, you know, I, I, it does feel to me like they've been given a little more leeway uh, certainly with bench decorum, you know, you still see the, uh, the old arm to sit down, that one arm wave to, to, to get the bench to sit down. But I don't feel like they've been quite as manic about it as they usually are. You know, there are games sometimes where it feels like the officials are more concerned with getting the bench to sit down than they are anything that's happening on the court. I don't know that I've felt that way this year. I also haven't seen as many games in person this year as I usually do. So it may be going on just off screen. Uh, but in the games I have seen in person, I haven't felt like that's, that's been as much of a priority as it usually, you know, usually it feels like that's priority number one. There's a there's a point in the, in the game that uh, if if you're uh, if you're the uh, an official and uh, you you have to tell the coach coach I'm not going to tell you every five or ten minutes to get back in their coaching box okay I'm, I'm you can't you got to listen to me and you got to stay back in the coaching box because I'm not going to tell you ten times to get back in the coaching box. And he needs to, as a referee, you need to tell him at some point that you, you need to listen to me and stay in the coaching box. Sometimes they will and sometimes they weren't. But if you finally have to get them, your, your comeback is, Coach, did I tell you multiple times to stay in the coaching box? And um, then he has no comeback, okay, if he got a technical. But, again, you go back to score time, and is he questioning – your calls or was, is he coaching his team? Right. Right. And there's a fine line there, especially late in a close game in a conference yeah. tournament for sure. Um, one other, other question from Alex that I thought was a good one uh, was about traveling and, uh, and, and he sent a, one of JD Collins's weekly whistle videos. And it was the one uh, I believe from December about jump stops and pivot feet. And, and it's, it's true. It's a play that now in the video, there are, to travel calls on players. So, so the rule is I, I've been refreshed by watching the weekly whistle. Uh, if you dribble and you, you have one foot on the ground and you pick up your dribble, uh, you know, you have to, if you want to, to move, you know, you have to land one with both feet simultaneously. If you want to then move again and jump. Um, 
Uh, and that applies to step back threes too. If you're dribbling and you pick up your dribble and step back and you land one foot at a time, that's technically a travel. You need to land with both feet simultaneously. Am I, am I correct on that? That's correct. But here's what we went over this multiple times and, and officials do not call it. If you, if you pick up your dribble and you have your right foot on the thing, let's just picture your right foot on the floor and you have picked up your dribble. You can jump off of that foot and land on both feet, but you cannot pivot now. And what they do is jump, stop, step, and step, either step back or pivot. Did you follow me? You, yep. If you pick up and you have your foot on the, uh, on the floor. Like you're running and you've got your, your pick foot it up, your dribble, running. You, can, yep. you can leap off that floor and, and land on both feet. You cannot pivot, but they all step back and they all jump, stop, step has almost become commonplace. And you see it in the video, they call and, and, and it. And by book, it's a travel. They call it a player lands on both feet and then pivots off one of those feet and let, tries to lay it off or, you know, uh, does it backwards, steps back off one foot and lands on both uh, one foot than the other. That's technically a travel. You have to land with both feet, I, you know, so you don't see that called typically. Um, Correct. You Correct. do in the you do in the video for sure. Um, but not not otherwise. I think, John, that that should uh, I think that's for an emergency podcast. I think we did pretty well. You know, we'll uh, we'll kick this thing back into gear and get some guests going again. I thought that we've had some some entertaining guests lately. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, as, as we get through the tournament, maybe we can do another one of these from Indianapolis and see who we can get to join us. Maybe we can get, yeah. uh, you know, Mike Eads or someone I, like that to come on. Yeah. Good to be back. Uh, we've been off far too long. Uh, we always have what I think is a uh, uh, good, good hour to talk about uh, college basketball and anything else and answer questions uh, for people that listen to our podcast, but um, I feel good about being back on. Yeah, me too. And, and uh, if you do have questions, uh, you can send it to me on Twitter at Luke Decock, uh, email LDCock, L-D-E-C-O-C-K at newsobserver.com by email. And we're, uh, we're happy to get to those either on a, a, a banner guest question podcast where we may just slip them in to fill some time on a, on a different one. But it's good to be back. Thank you for listening. Feel free to leave a rating in the, uh, the app store or the, uh, the, the iTunes podcast store, whatever they're calling it this week. Uh, we'd appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back soon. John, good to hear from you. Good to talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. Luke, have a good trip to Indianapolis.